morning. Today is the first Sunday of Lent, and henceforth at Servant shall be called the Feast of the Sacred Pews. So, for those who are new to uh, Lenten season, or are uncomfortable with the concept, or feel like you just can't make one more sacrifice and hear one more bad news, I want to offer you a few words of encouragement. Think of Lent as an opportunity to take a 40-day sabbatical from those things in life that distract you from God. Lent is an experience of contemplation, of prayer, of delving into your hearts, focusing on how to unclutter our lives a bit. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's known as a season of bright sadness. Lent is like reading a long, heart-wrenching novel on a rainy day and hoping for a happy ending. You can skip to the end of the story for the good news, but you miss the depth of sacrifice and passion if you skip to the end without experiencing the tension of the process. God wins, but it's such a great cost. This is Lent. Our lectionary readings today give us a snapshot of God's complete redemptive story. Temptation, sin, confession, and restoration. In Matthew 4, he tells of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Genesis 2 shows us how sin entered the world, causing God's good creation to become distorted. This is known as the fall or the fallen creation. Psalm 51 is King David's powerful and heartfelt confession given after being complicit in the murder and adultery and in Romans 5 is a message of restoration by God's free gift that leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. Temptation, sin, confession, restoration. What a remarkable combination of scriptures that illuminates both our broken condition and God's abundant provision. These passages ultimately lead to a place of hope. But this season is a time of deep reflection and repentance and preparation. Now, the devil plays a prominent role in the gospel and the Genesis passage, so I am compelled to talk about this leader of the evil kingdom who hates us simply because we are beloved by God. The gospel tells us that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about the evil kingdom in this message, mostly to help us recognize the reality of evil, but also to reduce some of the anxiety and to challenge some of the popular mythology that surrounds the devil. As C.S. Lewis wrote in his intro to the Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, plural. One is to disbelieve their existence. And the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Make no mistake about it, there is a spiritual reality that is, has a horrific impact on the world. Just turn on the news or maybe watch less of it during Lent. But there is so much more noise and distraction in our culture today that we're often oblivious to the subtlety of the spiritual world. So there are four points I want to make about the gospel passage, and that's where we'll spend most of our time. Number one, God is never caught off guard. Number two, God understands our struggles. 
Number three, God wants us to be wise. And number four, God is good, come what may. The first point, God is never caught off guard. In all three accounts of the temptation of Jesus, it follows his baptism and the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness for the purpose of being tested or, or tempted. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was not surprised by this confrontation. This was clearly an intentional move to confront the enemy directly and to show him the character and the power of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. God was never caught off guard by our struggles or our temptations. Forty days and forty nights full of nonstop spiritual attacks on Jesus by tempting, deceiving, lying, stinking demons before this final showdown with the leader of the demons. Jesus has been battling brutal spiritual attacks from the first moment of the first day and concluded with this threefold temptation of the devil. Most scholars agree that this would be seen, this threefold temptation, as defining what kind of Messiah that Jesus would be. Number two, God is never caught off guard and God understands our struggles. Jesus responded to temptation and spiritual assaults with prayer and Holy Scripture. This is a great example of God providing the resources we need to resist temptation and endure terrible struggles. Jesus was fasting and praying for almost a month and a half while spiritually being attacked. He must have been completely exhausted, hungry, worn down, vulnerable, yet never gave in and never sinned. He fully understands how hard it is to live in this broken world, broken by sin. In this glimpse of this set of temptations recorded in Matthew and Luke, and those are the... And, um, and Mark and Luke are where we understand that it wasn't just 40 days of fasting and then the devil. It was he went for 40 days of testing and tempting. Jesus only responds with scripture. Such as man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was not fooled by the lies and deceptions of the enemy in part because he knew scripture and held it in his heart. Jesus didn't learn scripture in isolation. Like many of us, he learned it from his parents, his extended family, his mentors, and in the synagogue from the rabbis and from ordinary people like you and me, adults taking the time to teach God's word and to mentor young people. Don't face life struggles and temptations alone. Be willing to ask for help. Lent is also a good time to become part of a Bible study or a small group or even a support or recovery group. The third point that we pull from the gospel is that God wants us to be wise. In this testing of Jesus, the devil quotes scripture. In fact, he quotes Psalm 91, one of the most comforting and encouraging psalms in the Bible against the threat of evil. Go figure. Psalm 91 begins with, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, and God in whom I trust. Can you imagine these sacred words coming out of the mouth of this evil one? Herein lies our warning. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing and false prophets and manipulative pastors 
who will twist the words of Scripture to control and weaken, deceive, and ultimately steal, kill, and destroy. Test everything you hear from a leader, religious or otherwise. God wants us to be discerning and thoughtful and wise in our faithfulness and build support systems for protecting yourself and your family from toxic religion. Keep good counsel and know when and to whom to reach out for advice and help. The fourth thing that we can pull from the gospel is that God is good, come what may. After all these decisions, um, I'm sorry, after all these temptations, when Jesus prayerfully and scripturally resisted, the angels came to Jesus and were ministering to him. The Holy Spirit led him out, and the angels, I mean, let him in, and the angels let him out. This was not some cosmic battle with an outknown outcome. This was not some cosmic battle with an unknown outcome. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Now, we are not Jesus, and we will fall short, and all have. But come what may, even death, our Lord has already gone before us. Jesus overcomes all life and death through the cross and resurrection and was sent, has sent the Holy Spirit to live in us and with us and through us, come what may. Because we belong to Jesus, we have nothing to fear from the power or, or any power or principality, including ones of the spiritual domain. We celebrate this reality together each week in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. Jesus' victory over sin and death. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And God is good, come what may. When Kathy and I were traveling last year, a friend complained that her house was being haunted. Her son and she were afraid to go into certain rooms. And I told her, I believe I can help. Now, of course, I had no idea what to do. And so I knew that somewhere there was a liturgy for this purpose. One of the beauties of being an Anglican. So first thing I did is I got on the phone with Mother Susan to ask for help because of her deep background in healing prayer. She was so helpful and sent me the liturgy for spiritual cleansing and the blessing of a house, which is to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to continue to dwell there, to, to keep those forces away. But importantly, Mother Susan helped me understand how different this would be from what I had seen in movies and read in novels. And I asked her that question. And we went from room to room throughout the house. My authority was not my own. Jesus Christ is the only authority over evil. His authority through me, for whom I was simply a messenger. I calmly and confidently read out loud the words of cleansing and blessing. I sprinkled holy water. We said prayers. There was no shouting or demanding or theatrics. I simply spoke as you might to any unwelcome visitor in your home that was no longer allowed to stay. I don't know what the results were, and I don't need to. When we face evil in the world, we can trust the power and authority of Jesus. God overcomes evil, and the results are his. So in summary, God was never caught off guard. God understands our struggles. God wants us to be wise, and God is good, come what may. 
when we deal with the topic of evil, we must be careful to guard against any whiff of dualism, as though God and Satan are equal and opposite and locked in some eternal battle whose outcome is uncertain and is ultimately decided by worldly forces. Wow, that is so dangerous. It just isn't true. The biblical narrative never casts any doubt about who is in control. God is. Or how the story ends. God wins. Only God is all-powerful. Only God is all-knowing. Only God is everywhere at the same time. God can be everywhere and with anyone at the same time because he is the one true God, the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer. And the devil has none of these abilities. We know the devil is a leader of the evil kingdom, but he is erroneously elevated to a godlike status that gets way too much airtime and credit in books and movies, times of crisis, sermons with questionable doctrine. As followers of Jesus, unless we are opening the doors to the evil kingdom in our thoughts, words, and deeds, which there's certainly a warning there, we have no reason to fear. Here's where our personal decisions make a big difference. Just as even the presence of Jesus sent demons scattering, and the Holy Spirit in us does the same today. We need to guard our hearts from evil and even flirting with temptation, and the scripture tells us, don't try to face temptation, flee temptation. But if you've already started down that path, it's never too, make, too late to make the next right decision. Repentance, confession, forgiveness, restoration, and new hope, all these things are available and possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is Lent. God's light endures, overcomes the seasons of darkness in our lives. We have no reason to fear. Lent reminds us of this truth. Don't give up. From 1 Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Dr. Esau Macaulay, an Anglican priest and scholar, wrote the new book titled Lent. And he says, Lent is a season of repentance and preparation. In many churches, it is a time when those who will be baptized prepare for their new life in God. It is a time when those who have been estranged from the church can be reconciled to the body of believers. It is also a time for all of us to think about the ways we have drifted from the faith. The common theme uniting these three functions in Lent <clears throat> is that all involves turning towards God with intention and reflecting on the past. End quote. I pray that Lent will be a remarkable time of transformation for all of us. I encourage you to connect with Mary Langland, who leads our prayer team, and her prayer team, and Mother Susan for soaking prayer and healing prayer and maybe a blessing on your home or your house as well. Uh, there's a bookmark or a stack of bookmarks. I don't know how many are out there in the narthex that has all that contact information, or you can talk to them. Lynn is not about trying harder, working harder, doing more. It's quite the opposite. It's time to pause. Think of it as a 40-day sabbatical from those things in life that distract us from God and help us create space for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. It's a time of reflection, a time of change, a time of abiding, 
for you are the beloved child of God, our God, who is always good, come what may. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.